All right. Have you ever been caught unprepared for something? Yeah? A few of you? Okay. Well, let me tell you about my wedding, my wedding speech. Um, <laughs> who was laughing? that Cheska? She's heard this story. Yeah. All right. Ah, oh, was it the picture that was funny? I don't know if you've heard the story, it was the picture. That's me 10 years ago at my wedding. Um, we might get rid of that picture because it's distracting. Um, how did he end up with her? That's what you're all thinking. All right, so, so my wedding day started like this, right? I'm driving along to the wedding and I'm there with my best man, Dan, uh, and I'm like, hey, Dan, have you got your speech ready for tonight because you've got to do a speech? And he's like, yep, got it right here. What about you? Have you got your speech ready? And I was like, ha, good one. This is my wedding. I don't have to do a speech. It's, it's my, I'm, the groom. I'm the groom. And he's like, nah, man, you've, you've got to do a speech. You have to do a speech at your wedding. And I was like, nah, good one. He's like, no, seriously, you have to do a speech tonight. And I was like, what are you talking? No, yes, no, yes, no. And then fast forward eight hours later, I'm sitting at a table at the reception bit after the wedding, and I'm sitting there with like a napkin kind of trying to pull together my thoughts as best I could, pull something together. And I'm like, you know what? I'll just wing it. Because really, what's the worst that could happen? What could really go wrong, right? Everything, right? It was brutal. I'm making jokes that don't make sense to anyone. People don't know what's going on. I'm tearing up, but not in like a sweet way, like an awkward way, crying. I'm overqualifying everything that I say, okay? So I'm like doing this speech and I'm like, Lyndall, I love you because you're funny. But no, 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 not like funny, like, you're not funny. You're like... Uh, you make funny jokes, and people are like, what is he doing on this stage? And I'm like, and I'm talking to my parents-in-law, and I'm going, oh, it's so good, thank you for welcoming you, me into your family, you're my new parents, I'm looking forward to spending the rest of my life with you guys. And I'm like, oh wait, probably not the rest of my life, probably the rest of your life, because you'll die first. I said that in my wedding speech, right? I referenced the death of my new wife's parents in my wedding speech. Um, and people like are laughing, but they're not laughing with me, they're laughing at me. At one point in the speech, this is not an exaggeration, if you know someone who was there, you ask them, like I had the microphone and I was banging it against my head. And I look over at Lyndall and she's like, who did I marry? Like she didn't, she didn't say those words, but her eyes were saying it to me, right? I got caught seriously unprepared that day, and it was pretty rough, it was pretty bad. I haven't lived it down, it's been 10 years since then. Um, But there's one situation, one day, (laughs) that's infinitely more important than that one, I want to say. Even as important as your wedding is, this one day, this one situation matters so much more than that time, and it's it's this day right here. Are you ready to meet God? At the end of your life, when you meet God, will you go to heaven? Because that day matters more than anything else. Now, some of you here tonight, I know for a fact, are unprepared for that day because you are very clear that you're not a Christian. You're someone who would say, yeah, I'm not a Christian. You might be new to this stuff. You might have been here for ages, but you know you're not a Christian. And you're like, yeah, I've not got anything to do with Jesus. That, that might be where a lot of you are at. Now, if that's you... Your job's actually pretty simple tonight. You've got a simple choice to make. Will you follow Jesus or not? And until you make the decision to put your trust in Jesus and have your sin paid for by Him, 
you can be sure tonight that you are not prepared to face God. You're not ready for that day, you can know that. But there's another group of people here tonight as well. And I've got to tell you, I'm actually more worried for those people than that first group, because this second group of people, who are they? They're the people who think that they're Christians. They're the people who think they know Jesus. They're the people who think that they're going to go to heaven at the end. But on the day that they meet Jesus, they're actually in for a shock. Because they're going to find out on that day, they never knew Jesus on the, in the first place. Now tonight's passage has got a serious warning for us. There's a heavy warning in this passage. And it's there for all of us tonight. Here's my goal for tonight though. I don't want anyone in this room, I don't want a single person in this room here tonight to walk back out those doors and be surprised later on when they meet God. I want all of us here tonight to be clear, at very least be clear, where you stand with God. Now, I know you're not all going to go home Christians tonight, but I don't want anyone to be sitting here and walking out those doors later on, thinking they're right with God, and then get a shock on that last day. I don't want that to happen to any of you. My prayer, my wish is that all of you would actually come to God and find forgiveness and find forgiveness in Jesus But at very least, I don't want any one of you to be surprised on the day you meet God, thinking that you're all good with God and all's fine, but really, you're headed for hell. I don't want that for any of you guys. And so I want to pray. I want to pray that that would be the case, that no one would be surprised when they meet God. And my hope is that actually in this passage tonight, heaps of you are going to find comfort in this passage. You're going to be encouraged that you're secure in Jesus, and for some of you, you're going to hear a heavy warning alongside that as well. That's what I want to see happen in God's Word tonight, so let's pray together, let's pray. Father God, we pray please for this time in your Word. God, show us where we stand with you. Lord, help us not to play tricks on ourselves or pretend all's fine when it's not. God, speak to us through this part of the Bible tonight. Give us ears to hear things that are new and different and remind us of truths that we've known forever. Amen. All right, well, tonight's passage really does have a hectic warning and here's the first thing you're going to see. This is it. People living in sin will not go to heaven. Now, what do we mean by that? Check out verse 9. Look in your Bibles, chapter 6. Verse 9. Sorry. Chapter 6, verse 9. Check it out. He says, Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, Wrongdoers will not go to heaven. Now, how would you know if you were what Paul calls here a wrongdoer? Are you one of those people? How could you tell? Well, If you read on, Paul describes the things that wrongdoers do. He describes the character of their lives. He says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, which is people who are in the habit of misusing sex, um, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, people who worship other gods, nor adulterers, which is people who have sex with other people who aren't their husbands and wives, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, which is people who are trash-talking other people around them, nor swindlers, which is people who are ripping people off and stealing from them. None of those people 
will inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Those people, that list of people are not going to heaven. Now, are you one of those people? If you read that, is this me? Is this you? You've got to ask that question, right? Now, I reckon, here's the thing, I reckon most people who would call themselves Christians would read those verses there, and they might read the next verse, which we'll get to in a bit, and, and they would go, yeah, that's me. I'm on this list. I do some of the things there. I deserve to go to hell, but lucky for me, because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. And so even though this is me in verses 9 and 10... I can still go to heaven because I'm a forgiven person. I reckon that's what most Christians would say. But that's not what Paul wrote down there. That's not what he said. He says, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says they're not going to heaven, wrongdoers. People who are currently on this list, if this is who they are today, they're not going to heaven. And so, are you a wrongdoer? Are you the person that Paul's talking about here? Is that you? Let me make this clear. I don't think this list is describing the life of a forgiven Christian. I think this list is describing the life of someone who isn't actually a Christian. So you have a look up on the screen with me here. This is the NIV version which was read out. You've got copies of it in front of you. And back in verse 1, he's talking about Christians suing people, right? And he says, if any of you has a dispute with another Christian, do you dare to take it before the ungodly, before like the non-Christian courts for judgment, instead of before the Lord's people, before the church, right? And then in verse 9, this is our verse, he says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those two words in yellow there are actually the same word in the original Greek language this was written in. So go to the next slide. This is, no, no, ESV. Yeah. Um, this is the English, there's a different translation of the Bible, right? But it, it translates it exactly the same because it's the same word. He says, when one of you has a grievance, you know, before the unrighteous, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? This is talking about non-Christians. That's what's going on here in verse 9. This is a description of non-Christians. And he's saying, non-Christians who live like this, they're not going to heaven. Now, that's good. That's relatively simple to get your head around, Right? And so if you're someone who's sitting here tonight going, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I want nothing to do with him. If if you're clear on that, then the Bible is saying to you tonight, you are not ready to face God. But there's another group of people that I think this passage addresses. There's something else we've got to see about this list in chapter 6. Come back with me to chapter 5 now. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. Now, this is the chapter last week we saw, where there was this hectic passage where there's a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law and the church was proud of it, all this kind of messy stuff. Look at verse 9. Paul says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, who does he mean? He says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. So he's saying, i got no problem with you hanging out with people who are not Christians and they're clear on it and they're not saying they're Christians. That's fine. You can't escape the world. Look at verse 11. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, someone who claims to be a Christian but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. And so the person who claims to be a Christian and yet is living like they're not, 
is a fake. Paul's saying these people are fakes, they're not real Christians, they're frauds. They say one thing and they live the opposite. But here's the thing, look at that list from chapter 5, which we just read together, look at the list in chapter 6, which is our passage tonight, what do you notice about those two lists? What do you notice? They're almost the same, aren't they? Look, almost everyone that's mentioned is mentioned in the other. And I think what Paul has got in mind here as he writes chapter 6 is he's saying, wrongdoers won't go to heaven. And so that's two types of people. It's the non-Christian who's clear that they're not a Christian. It's the person who's like, yeah, I don't follow Jesus. And he's saying, yeah, they're not headed for heaven. But he's also got in mind the person who says, I'm a Christian, but they're a fake because their life doesn't match what they're saying about who they are. He's saying both of those people need to be warned. Chapter 6. You're not headed for heaven. Now, when it comes to fakes, it's actually pretty hard to spot a fake based off what they say, isn't it? It's hard to spot a fake based off what they say, but it's easy to spot them off what they do. Years ago, I had a friend, a new friend, made this friend, uh, and he told me that he was really good at basketball. And I was like, oh, that's heaps good, I'm into basketball. And he's like, yeah, man, I can, like, I can dunk. And I'm like, oh, that's heaps good. And he told me about how he tried out for the NBL, the Sydney Kings, and how he almost made it. And he was pretty much in his trial game. He was going to make this, like, the national basketball team. And, um, and he broke his ankle, and so he didn't make the team. And it's like, I would have been in the NBL if it wasn't for that ankle kind of thing. And I was like, man, that's heaps good. You seem really good at basketball. Like, I play at Terrigal Stadium in like men's C grade if you want to join my team and he was like yeah I'll play and I was like oh my goodness my team's going to be so good we're going to be dunking on the other players it's going to be amazing here's what happened the first game we played Um, he couldn't really shoot very well he couldn't really run the court very well seemed confused as to what to do on defense and he definitely couldn't dunk he was about as good as me at basketball right Now, don't get me wrong, I love this guy, we're still friends, but I'm pretty sure he was never going to make the NBL. He was never going to make the Sydney Kings. It's hard to spot a fake by what they say, but you can spot one by what they do. Are you a fake Christian? Are you a fake Christian? How do you know if you were? How would you know that this is you, that you're the person in this list in chapter 6? Because I think it's actually tricky to tell sometimes. It's hard to know. Am I the real thing or am I a fake? Because on the one hand, the Bible actually says all of us are sinners. Every single one is a sinner, right? We're we're told that all of us, we sin, we messed up and we're going to keep doing that for the rest of our lives. But are you this person in this passage that Paul's talking about? Are you someone who is living in their sin. Here's some kind of self-checks that you can kind of ask of yourself and think about in your own life. And so listen, I've got five self-checks I want to take you through. Self-check number one, it's up on the screen there. Unrepentant people plan their next sin. Repentant people have a plan to deal with their sin. And so, I've got a whole bunch of examples through here. Don't worry about the example. You put whatever your thing is in the spot. I'm just using examples. But one day, you find yourself home alone and you're looking at stuff you shouldn't on the internet, right? You mess up. An unrepentant person is thinking, man, when's the next time I can do this again? When are my parents going to go out? How can I find some space to do whatever you've been up to again, right? When are my parents going to leave me alone? A repentant person goes, I never want this to happen again. 
This is the opposite of where I want to do. And I've got to, I've got to make a plan. I've got to do something. I'm going to talk to my dad or I'm going to talk to my brother, someone I can talk to. And we're going to, I don't know, block out your web browsers on your phone or make a deal with your brother where he'll keep your phone in his room at night. Whatever it takes, you want to make a plan to do something about it. Unrepentant, this is number two, unrepentant people remain unchanged. Repentant people are growing and changing. And so maybe you work out you shouldn't steal stuff online like stream movies and TV and stuff that you don't own, right? And you work that out. A repentant person will delete the stuff they've stolen and they'll stop going to those sites. They're like, I'm done with this. I'm not going back there. An unrepentant person says, yeah, stealing is bad. I'm struggling with stealing. (laughs) You might even share that at your G team or something like that, right? But I'm halfway through that TV series that I'm watching and I don't know how I'm going to watch it unless I keep stealing it even though I shouldn't. So I don't know what to do about that. I'll keep struggling for a while, right? Unrepentant people put limits on their fight with sin. Repentant people will do anything. So just another example, um, you and your boyfriend can't control yourselves. You've been going out for a while and you have boundaries that you wish you could keep and you keep stuffing it and stepping way over them. And maybe a Christian friend gives you this advice. Maybe a Christian friend says, well, if you can't control yourselves, maybe you should break up. An unrepentant person says, yeah, I don't like my sin, I want to get rid of it. But I could never give up my boyfriend. I couldn't do that. I couldn't go that far. I couldn't take that step. A repentant person says, it's not what I want to do. I don't want to break up. But if that's what it takes, I'm ready to do it. Unrepentant people live double lives. Repentant people are honest. So another example, on a Friday night, you're here. On a Saturday night, you're somewhere else with your mates getting drunk. An unrepentant person wants to do everything they can to keep those two lives separate from each other so you don't get found out. A repentant person owns what's going on for them among their Christian mates, among their Christian leaders, and so they can take the first step in actually dealing with it because they talk about what's going on for real. Last one. Unrepentant people wait to act on a warning. Repentant people act now. What's this passage doing to you tonight? Is it making you seriously think, man, am I a Christian or not? Am I real? Is my faith genuine? Am I repentant? Well, this is your warning. The Bible, God's Word, is warning you tonight. And if you're starting to worry, man, I might be a fake. I think I'm living in my sin. Then hear the words of this warning tonight and act. Do something about it tonight. Don't put it off. And even if you're just a little bit unsure, you're not 100% sure what's going on, you can't figure yourself out, well, don't live in doubt about the most important question in the world, where do you stand with God? Don't sit there in those doubts. Do something about it tonight. So there's the warning. It's a big warning. It's a heavy warning. I'm sorry it's been so heavy, but it needs to be said. It's what the Bible's saying tonight. But here's the second big thing to see in this passage. And guys, this really is the best news in the world. And I don't care if you've heard this a thousand times or you have never heard it or this is the first time, but here's the best news in the world. 
all sinners, even the ones who right up until today have been living a double life as a fake Christian, all sinners can have their past erased for good. That's what verse 11 is saying. Look at verse 11. He says, that big list of stuff, that is what some of you were. That's who you used to be. That was your old identity, but not, in, not anymore because you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So Christians are people who are washed clean of their sin before God. It's done away with, it's gone. The record of sin is washed away forever. Christians are people who are sanctified, which is a big funny word, but it just means that you're set apart. You're now God's special treasured possession. You used to be of the world, now you're set apart for God. You're His. So actually your life is different and He's changing you and, you, and He looks at you and He sees His treasured special possession. You're justified. It means you're declared not guilty. God looks at you and he says, even though you've sinned, not guilty. Not because you're really, really good and you earned it, because Jesus died in your place, not guilty, right in his sight. And all of that because of Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, it says. You know, some people get really bad tattoos and the record of their kind of past mistakes in the tattoo world kind of sticks with them. Um, So there's kind of the massive Nickelback fan from back in the day. And like in 1999, they're like, that's a good idea. I don't know when Nickelback are from, but a long time ago, right? And they're like, this is going to be heaps good. Nickelback forever. Mistake, right? Or the guy who got way too excited about Keyboard Cat, and he was like, Keyboard Cat for life, and he got it tattooed on him. But in retrospect, that was probably a mistake. Or the person who couldn't get enough of Gangnam Style, years 2013, you're like, this is never going to get old. I'm going to wear this forever. And you get a Gangnam Style tattoo. Or even this guy here who overcommitted to Megan, before he met Holly, and so he had to sort it out with a line through Megan. Yeah, there you go. See, imagine you had a lifetime of bad tattoo mistakes, just like that, right? But just all over your body, every possible mistake you could make. Every time you see a good movie or a meme, you're like, get it straight on me. Get me the Ugandan knuckles, whatever. You see it, you want it on your body. You just make a bunch of bad tattoo decisions, right? And imagine it got to the point where every ounce of your skin was just covered in the record of your life's tattoo mistakes. And it got to the point where you're like, I'm just a mess, look at me, everything's tattooed in stupid decisions, right? And you're so tattooed that you couldn't possibly afford to get them like removed with like laser tattoo stuff or whatever, and plus it would just hurt to have your whole skin lasered, and so you're just just done. Until... Someone made like a bath, a magical bath, right? And if you have a swim in this magical bath, it's like all the ink from your tattoo history just melts away and it's gone. You'd be relieved if you were covered in that, those tattoos, right? Imagine you're just like walking through life like, oh man, I've got a keyboard cat on my forehead. And I was like, there's a bath, you take it, it's all gone. You'd be overjoyed, it would be so good. Well, imagine this though. This is all stupid made-up stories, right? But imagine this. Imagine... Every time you sinned, the record of that sin was tattooed on you for for the world to see, right? Every time you were evil and hurtful and did things that were selfish and shameful, it appeared as a tattoo on your body. The time I stole from my parents, thief tattooed on, that stuff I said behind my friend's back, 
slanderer, trash talker, tattooed on. The things that I did that I'm so embarrassed about, no one else knows about but me. Tattooed. The things I thought, that I never even said, but I thought, and God heard it, even if no one else did, tattooed on. Until you're just covered in this record of all the different things that you've done. Now, that doesn't happen in real life. You're not all covered in all the stuff you did last week, right? But God sees that stuff. And it's as if it's tattooed onto our record in front of us, marking us out for who we are. That's what it likes. That's what, it, that's what it's like when God looks at us as sinners. He sees it all. We're marked with it all. And imagine, though, the offer of like that same bath that you could just take and swim in and it's all washed away for good. Every last drop of ink of the record of your sin is just gone. Wiped away, washed away, wiped clean. Guys, that's what Jesus has done for us on the cross. If you come to him, that record before God, all of it, every last drop is washed away. But you've got to come to him genuinely. You've got to come to him in true repentance. You need to come to him as the person you want to be your saviour who's going to pay for your sin. And you need to come to him as your king as your boss, the one who gets to rule your life. That's how you must come to Jesus. And if you do that, you can be forgiven. And that's the best news in the world. But until you do, you are not ready to meet God. Come to Jesus and you can be sure that you're going to heaven. Now guys, are you ready to face God? Now, If you're someone here tonight who's never even claimed to be a Christian, I'm not a Christian, that's nothing to do with me, your job's really clear. There's one thing that I desperately want for you and you need to become a Christian. I can't make that decision for you. You've got to decide to do that yourself. But if you repent of your sin and the way you've been living in opposition to God, repent of that, turn back from that and put your trust in Jesus, even tonight your whole life can be turned upside down all forgiven, right with God, permanently, done. That can be yours tonight. But there's other people tonight who we've already talked about, people who are also not ready to face God. And it isn't because you've not heard of Jesus. Before tonight, you might have even said you're a Christian, but you're living in your sin. You're living in unrepentant sin. You're the person on Paul's list here in chapter 6. You ran through those self-checks that we did before, those five things, and you could, you could see it. You're like, this is me. This is how I'm living. This is how I'm relating to God. You might say that you're trusting in Jesus, but your life is saying the opposite. Could be tonight, though, that you're just a little bit confused. You might be just sitting there going, I think I'm a Christian, but I've got questions and I'm just not 100% sure where I stand. I think I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, if you're any of those things tonight, if you're someone who's clear that you're not a Christian but you want to become one, if you're someone who knows you've been living without Jesus in control of your life, you know that you've been living in unrepentant sin, even though you want to say you're a Christian, you know you're not living it, or even if you're just a bit confused, I want to say don't put this off for another day. Don't sit around as if that's cool. See, normally in talks like this, we'll invite people to pray. Pray a prayer in your head. I'm going to pray. You guys listen and if you agree, you pray in your own heads. Tonight, I'm not going to do that. 
Tonight I want to do something a bit different. I want you guys to actually take the physical step of coming and talking to someone tonight about where you're at and what's going on for you. I want to challenge you to do something different and actually say, I don't know what's going on in my life, but I need help and I want to talk this through with someone. And so that's the step I want to encourage you to take tonight. Now, I'm going to pray in just a second and we're going to sing some songs and that's going to be good. But if you know you need to take action on this stuff tonight, then I want to encourage you, come up to this back corner up here. Some of those people will clear out in a bit when we sing. Some leaders are waiting up there to talk to you tonight. Some of your leaders, myself, Dan, Tamara, Geordie, Loz, a few of us are going to be up there. We want to talk to you, we want to chat to you about what's going on. And we're not there to judge you. We know what it's like to have messed up. We know what it's like to be confused and feel a bit lost about where do I stand with God. So don't, don't worry about what other people are going to think when you head up there. They can do their own thing. They'll, they'll go to discussion groups. They'll go hang out. Don't worry about what others are thinking. Come and chat to us tonight and work it out. All right, let's pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you so much for the good news of Jesus. We thank you that if our trust is in him... Our sins are forgiven, they're washed away, and we are right with you. Father, we pray for those of us tonight, we know there are many who are unsure where we stand with you, who want to be Christians, but our lives don't match who we say we are. Father, I pray for those people that they wouldn't leave tonight unchanged, to give them the courage to be honest about where they're standing with you and and chase this through to where it needs to go. God, thank you that we're not alone in the Christian life. Thank you that you are in us by your Holy Spirit. And so as we face the challenge of repentance and and lives that need to change and things that are hard, we're not alone. We thank you so much for your Spirit and we thank you for the Lord Jesus who died and bled and went to the cross so that our sin is paid for and done. Amen.